When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Gospel of Mark, at the Passion Week, the last seven days that Jesus was on earth before his crucifixion. And Jesus began the week, if you remember, on Palm Sunday. He entered Jerusalem in such a way that he declared himself king. And then on Monday, he returned to Jerusalem to the temple that he had seen the previous day, and he drove out the vendors and the money changers from the temple. And he cleansed the temple because he said it became a, a den of robbers. And so by doing so, he condemns their worship. This prompted the religious leaders to confront Jesus on Tuesday and ask him, who gave you authority to do such a thing? On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we've seen Jesus being falsely accused by the religious leaders, betrayed by Judas, arrested and put on trial. All the while, his disciples were fleeing, and Peter denies him not just once, but three times. Then Pilate sentences Jesus to death by crucifixion, even though he knew Jesus was innocent. And on Friday, if you're here at our Tenebrae service, on Good Friday, we read of Jesus' crucifixion. So what I want to do this morning, just to set the context, is let's read verses 42 through 47 of chapter 15 in the account of Jesus being buried before we jump into chapter 16. And, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid." Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we study. Father, we acknowledge you are good, you are holy, and you're righteous. You're our creator. You're the giver of every good thing we have, and we recognize that. We confess that we're needy, and we're sinful, and we're depraved, and we are so prone to wander away from you and your grace. And Father, we're thankful for so many being here on this resurrection day. And as we look around the room, there's a lot of testimonies represented here. And we're thankful for the, the saving grace you poured out on us, Lord. So many of us, you've 
drawn us to yourself, revealing our sin and revealing your goodness. And Lord, you've granted us faith and repentance. And Lord, we're your child and we have eternal life and we're so thankful. But Father, there may be some here who've yet to repent and trust you. Maybe there's some who maybe even claim to be Christian and, and think they know you, but maybe they're deceived. And Father, we just ask that you would do your work today. We need your help as we study your scripture. Lord, may you open our eyes and ears to hear your truth. And Lord, may we be encouraged. May we be rebuked. May we be empowered. Lord, meet our spiritual needs today through the preaching of your word. And I ask that you would help me, the preacher, that I would be able to teach it clearly, that we would leave here rejoicing, and that the lost would leave convicted. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's several things I want to point out from our text this morning. It's just a, a few verses that we're going to look at this morning. But I think the first thing we need to point out is that the women that went to the tomb that day were surprised. So the first point being surprise, surprise, surprise. Verses 1 through 3. It's interesting, these ladies, Mary, Mary, and Salome, they are going to the tomb. And either the same women that Mark said earlier witnessed Jesus' death on the cross and also his burial. Look at chapter 15, verse 40. After the centurion, seeing Jesus breathe his last breath, says, truly this man is the Son of God, verse 40 of chapter 15, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So here's women who had been with him on his ministry, had helped him along the way. And they came to Jerusalem and they saw him crucified. And look also at verse 47. After Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea, verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So these women, they saw him crucified, they saw him die, they saw him buried. And this Sunday morning, they were going to the tomb to wash and perfume his battered body. And we have to remember in Jewish custom, they didn't have the embalming custom in their culture. So they didn't embalm, but what they would do is they would put spices and perfume on the body. This was done, I think, more of an expression of loving devotion to the loved one who's passed away. Much like we have someone pass away, we'll maybe pick out their new dress or a pretty dress or a new suit. We'll have the corpse hair done. Maybe also we could liken it to taking flowers to the grave of a loved one, of someone we miss. But they're going to anoint the body with these perfumes and spices. And, and they're going, it says, on the first day of the week, because Friday, of course, Jesus died and was buried, but they couldn't go on Saturday because that was the Sabbath. So it's the first day of the week, it's Sunday morning, and they're on their way. And while they're on their way, they, they, a thought occurs to them, well, 
What about the stone? It was a, scripture tells us it was a large stone. What are they going to do about the stone? How are we going to roll the stone away? I guess it's, once you think about that, you're already in ways. Well, let's just, let's just figure that out when we get there. But it's interesting, although Jesus had mentioned several times, even in the Gospel of Mark, he mentioned to his disciples, told them that he was going to be crucified. He told them that he was going to die, but on the third day he was going to rise again. There was not the slightest idea of the possibility of resurrection in these women's minds. As we think about what has happened on Thursday and Friday, we see that no one, not even the closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, had an expectation that Jesus would live again. But as they neared the tomb, they noticed the large stone rolled away. So they entered the tomb, and they says they were alarmed. Fear and wonder, amazement, maybe even astonishment came over them. And the angel, seeing their alarm, seeks to calm their fears. Now, it's interesting as we look at the gospel accounts, and we gave you a, a scripture reading list last week, and some of you read through that list of all the, the day's happenings each day. But Luke and John, they tell us there were actually two angels present, while Matthew and Mark simply focused on the spokesman, the one who spoke to the women. But this angel tells them in verse 6 that Jesus of Nazareth who they saw crucified and whom was laid right here is risen. He's not here anymore. So they're directed specifically to Jesus who died by a crucifixion they witnessed, was buried in a place they witnessed, and now has been resurrected. And so there's continuity there between the historical Jesus and the resurrected Jesus. Danny Aiken says the one whom the angel invites them to know is the one whom they have already known. And the evidence is undeniable. They saw him crucified. They saw him buried. And there's no need to anoint a dead body that is no longer there. The tomb is empty. Jesus has risen. And now the women have a new assignment, don't they? They're told to go and proclaim the good news of a risen Lord and Savior who has left the tomb. And the angel instructs them to begin with those who had abandoned and denied him. He says, but go tell the disciples. And he mentions Peter's name, especially Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. And we believe, most scholars believe, that Mark is actually writing Peter's account of Jesus' happenings during his ministry. And although they shouldn't have been surprised, these women are surprised that Jesus has risen from the dead. So the first thing we recognize is no one was expecting this. Even though Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, had been telling disciples this is what's going to happen, they're surprised nonetheless. The second thing we, we see in this text is the abrupt ending and how this abrupt ending has a purpose. Look at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So here, Mark ends his gospel with this tremendous reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And this resurrection has captivated the souls of these women with wonder and astonishment. And you have this abrupt ending to the gospel of Mark. But that's the way Mark does things. That's the way he writes his gospel. This is the gospel that Mark set out to share. If you remember chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus 
of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the Son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among man, who did just what he said he would do. He said he would be handed over by the religious leaders to the Gentiles, to the Romans, and, and he would be crucified. And now he would, he's been raised from the dead, just as he said would happen. And who could rise from the dead but God himself? And so there's an abrupt ending in verse 8 of Mark's gospel. And this abrupt ending demands a response. Now, for some of you, you're looking at your Bibles and you're, you're wondering, well, how is it that this is an abrupt ending when there's more verses to chapter 16? Now, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see there's a continuation of the story in verses 9 through 20. But in your Bible, especially if you have a, the Pew Bible, you'll see that these, these verses are in brackets. So I want to explain that to you uh, just a moment. Either, either these notes have a have brackets or they have a footnote that tells you that these next verses, verses 9 through 20, are not found in the earliest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Mark. Now you have to remember, God inspired these early writers to write his words for us. And through the centuries... God has preserved his word. And so how does God preserve his word? Well, if you remember, there's no printing presses in first century Palestine. And so what happens is these manuscripts have to be copied by scribes. So they write letter by letter, word by word. And what happens over time is you'll find a scribe who thought he needed to add something to the story. If you come to the end of verse 8, there's an abrupt ending to Mark's gospel. And somewhere along the way, there was a scribe who felt the need to add something to it. Now, I will say, these next verses are true events that we see taking place in the other gospels. So there's nothing in them inconsistent with the other scriptures. But they most likely were not penned by Mark. These were added by a scribe later to finish the story. And so what happened after he copied his gospel and he added those last few lines, things that happened from the other gospel stories, then those were copied and those were copied. And if you have a King James Version, you'll see there's no brackets, there's no asterisk because there were um, newer manuscripts used in translating the King James. But through the years, we found older manuscripts and these older manuscripts do not have this uh, last ending uh, parts to the story. So you say, well, what do we do with these? Well, there's, we read it, but we understand that Mark's gospel most likely ended in verse 8. But Mark's abrupt ending was purposeful. We see him doing the same thing throughout the gospel. As Jesus has revealed who he is and what he's doing throughout the gospel of Mark, the response has been the same. Fear, awe, amazement, wonder. Mark tells us in chapter 4, verse 41, after he calms the storm, says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were filled with great fear, right? And then there's a question, and it's left for us readers to answer. Who is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. And so Mark forces us to answer that question. In chapter 6, verse 50, Jesus has been walking on water, 
For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. In chapter 9, verse 6, as Jesus is transfigured before his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, you remember the story, they're transfigured on the mountain. They're able to see Jesus there with Moses and Elijah. Peter suggests he build a permanent living residence for, for Jesus, for Moses, and Elijah. We can just stay here. Let's just stay here. We don't even have to leave the mountain. And why did he say that? For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Jesus revealing himself, revealing who he is, and they're fearful, and they don't know what to say. Chapter 9, verse 32, Jesus tells his disciples that he will be killed, and three days later he will rise. And Mark says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They didn't quite understand it. They couldn't put it all together that he would die and, and be raised, and so they, they're fearful, and they did not want to ask the question. Chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus has set his eyes on Jerusalem, determined to head there where he'll face his death. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. And so over and over again, we see Mark bringing his Jesus, recording Jesus' events and his teaching, him caring for his disciples, teaching them what, he, what he's about to do, teaching them who he is. And we see time and time again, when Jesus powerfully tells who he is and what he'll do, the people's response is fear. So much so that they wouldn't even ask a question. Would you explain that? What do you mean by that? Then on Sunday morning, as the ladies come, the stone is rolled away, and we find that Jesus is raised from the dead. My friend Lee Tankersley, he says this, I think Mark concludes his gospel much like a movie ending abruptly. The stone is gone, the angels declare he is raised, and the women are afraid. And what happens next? The credits roll. Don't you love a, a movie that ends like that? I think that's what Mark is doing here. He doesn't go on to elaborate. Mark is leaving us to draw the conclusion that he's made clear, clearly from the start. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is risen. The women are astonished. Roll the credits, please. William Lane says the ending of Mark is thoroughly consistent with the motifs of astonishment and fear developed throughout the gospel. These motifs express the manner in which Mark understands the events of Jesus' life. We see the ladies afraid, astonished, amazed because Jesus was not there. He had risen. They're to go and tell the apostles what the angel had told them. And that he will meet them in Galilee. And that's what Jesus told his disciples would happen. Look at, flip back a page, chapter 14, verse 28. Verse 27, Jesus predicts before he's arrested, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That's what, Je that's what Jesus told them to do. Hey, we're going to go to Galilee. We'll meet, we'll meet up later in Galilee after I've risen from the dead. 
the resurrection is the source of eternal life for us who believe. In fact, without the resurrection, the cross would be nothing. The teaching of Jesus would be nothing. The works of Christ that we read about in the Gospels would mean nothing. Because without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Now, some people think, well, the resurrection is, is the, the, the consummation, is the conclusion of Jesus' ministry. No, it's not the conclusion. It's not the epilogue. It's the climax of the life of Christ and his work. Jesus says, I will be taken by the religious leaders, handed over to the Gentiles, I will die, and on the third day I will rise again. And by being resurrected, what does he do? He vindicates who he was. Think about all the false accusations, all the lies that were said at Jesus' trial, all the terrible things Jesus heard and endured, all the terrible things that people thought about him, but yet he, on the third day, that Sunday morning, he rose from the dead to be vindicated and validated. We see the surprise of the, of the ladies. We see the abrupt ending to Mark causing us to respond. And lastly, I just want to think just a moment about the evidences of the resurrection of Christ. Let's take note of those. How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, number one, Jesus said he would rise on the third day. We've already seen that over the last several weeks. If you haven't been here, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, chapter 10, verse 33 through 34, three times in the gospel of Mark. In the short gospel of Mark, Jesus has told his disciples that he would be arrested, he would die, and he would rise again. We see this in the other gospels as well. John chapter 2, after cleansing the temple, the, the religious leaders tell Jesus to give them a sign. How do we know that you have this authority? Who gave you this authority to do such a thing, to cleanse the temple, to oppose us? And John records Jesus' words in chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And, of course, what's he talking about there? But it's body. In Matthew chapter 12... Verse 40, some of the scribes and Pharisees were telling him, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus tells them, only an evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign. He says, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, Jesus predicting his death, but... Most importantly, his resurrection. In Luke 13, 32, some Pharisees came and said to him, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus responds by saying, Go and tell that fox that wasn't, that wasn't, an, um, that wasn't flattery, that wasn't a compliment. Tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course, alluding to his upcoming resurrection. 
that Jesus would die and rise precisely on the third day has been Jesus' consistent message. So how do we know that Jesus rose? He said he would. That's what he's been saying since the beginning of his ministry. Number two, how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? There's no body. The women get to the tomb and there's no body. Jesus died on a Roman cross by crucifixion, was buried in a tomb not far from the crucifixion site. But Jesus' tomb was discovered to be empty. There was no body found. In Matthew, Luke, and John, they have a lot more to say beyond where Mark stops his account in this historical being. I always I tell people all the time, Mark is kind of like those, the gospel, if you're like ADHD, that's what Mark, Mark's for you. It's the gospel for you, straight to the point. Doesn't linger, it's kind of fast-paced. But turn over with me to, to Mark, I mean, I'm sorry, to Matthew chapter 27. Like I said, Matthew, Luke, and John, they have a lot more to say beyond where Mark stops his account. But flip over to Mark, just flip over left. If you're in the Bible, go left. Matthew 27, it's Matthew, Mark. So Matthew 27. So Jesus has been, this is Matthew's account. I want to read a, a few things for us. Jesus has been crucified, he's died, and he's been buried. Look at Matthew 27, verse 62 through 66, page 992 in the Pew Bible. Let's read through this text real quickly. Just a couple of things I want to point out. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter, this is speaking of Jesus, right? The imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So the religious leaders, they're afraid. They've heard Jesus say he's going to die. They've kind of caught wind of that. Jesus said he's going to die, and he's, on the third day he's going to rise from the, from the grave. So we want to make sure that his, his boys don't steal his body because if they steal a body, people are going to think that he really did rise from the dead, and this thing's going to get out of hand. So they had the tomb guarded for how long? Three days. Now look at chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 1 through 4. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. That's how the stone must have been ruled away. Huh? For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So there's this earthquake, and the, the, the stone's moved out of the way. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So the, the guard, there's guards there. They're guarding the tomb. Stones in front. In, guarding the tomb. But yet there's this earthquake. The stones rolled away and they are trembling like dead men, right? Kind of comatose, I suppose. 
Now look at verse 11 through 15. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, you're not supposed to sleep on duty, right? If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, it's interesting. The religious leaders, they didn't want the disciples to steal the body. Because if they did, people think that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And when the soldiers who's guarding the tomb went and told them Jesus rose from the dead, what what did the religious leaders tell them to do? Tell them to do the, the, the one thing that they did not want to, to see happen. Tell them the disciples stole the body. I thought you said you didn't want that to happen. But they have to do something. Why? Because there's no body. How do we know that Jesus rose from that? Jesus said he was going to. Precisely on the third day. And there's no body to be found. Third reason we know that Jesus rose from the dead Ken Hughes, he says that there's Saturday and then there's Sunday followers of Jesus. Think about it. On Saturday, Jesus' disciples, they're in a state of despair and despondency, believing that their Lord was dead. We see them fleeing, fearful. We see them even denying Christ. The women are going to anoint a dead body, right? They're They're not expecting him to be alive. And while they're doing that, where are the apostles? closed up behind closed doors, fearful and discouraged. But after the resurrection, what do we see the apostles doing? Boldly proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus. What caused such a change? Well, the disciples saw the resurrected Lord. The disciples had a real and genuine experience that convinced them that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus had risen from the dead and he was alive. And it transformed the disciples from fearful, discouraged followers on Saturday to bold witnesses of his resurrection on Sunday and following. In fact, they they shared the gospel so much, and they shared the story of Jesus' death and resurrection so much, it led to their death. Most of them were martyred, were put to death. They followed the Savior, didn't they? It's interesting, Peter specifically denies he even knows Jesus, and then he sees the Lord, and it completely changes life. Flip over to John. We're doing a lot of flipping today. Go right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go right if you have a pew Bible, page 1077. Let's see John's account of Jesus appearing to Peter and the apostles. John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20. Again, the the women are going to the tomb, not expecting to to see the stone rolled away in an empty grave. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus. They're surprised by this. 
Look at verse 19 to 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. See, they're fearful. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Keep going down to verse 26. But one of the apostles is not there. Thomas, he's not there. So look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. See, Thomas said, Unless I see his hands and his feet and his side, I'm not going to believe that. Can't believe it. Jesus said, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. This is the second appearance. Chapter 21, verse 5 through 14. Peter and his six, other, six of the disciples, they go fishing. That's what they did for a living, and they fished all night. They caught no fish. Chapter 21 of John, verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to him, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Last text about Peter. Look at, flip up, keep going right. We're going in the right direction. Acts chapter 4. Again, on Saturday, they're locked up behind closed doors, in fear and trembling, despondent, discouraged. Acts chapter 4, page 1083. Look at verse 5. Peter has, has been sharing the gospel. The day of Pentecost come, the Holy Spirit's come. He's preaching, he's preaching, crucifixion, resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection. He heals a, a lame beggar, and he's arrested, he and John. Verse 5, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Verse 7, and when they set, had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. These are the religious leaders, right, that had arrested Jesus, that had been responsible for handing him over to the Gentiles. Verse 9, if, it were, if we were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You got Saturday followers and you got Sunday followers. And we see Peter and the apostles, they become Sunday followers of Jesus. No longer despondent, no longer fearful, but bold as lions. Disregarding the fact that what they're saying is going to lead to their demise. It doesn't matter. I got a story to tell. You got to hear this. You got to hear what happened to Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He died for our sins and he rose on the third day so we could be justified before a holy God. I don't care what you do to me. You got to hear this true gospel. Jesus said he was going to rise and he rose. There's no body. You can't find a body anywhere because he rose. Saturday versus Sunday followers of Jesus. Fourth reason we believe in the resurrection of Christ is Sunday, not Saturday, became the day of worship for the church. Why? Celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. Friday is really important, isn't it? We call it Good Friday. It's really important. The church didn't worship on Friday, important as the cross is. No, the church begins to meet on Sunday because the resurrection was that important. Think about the Jews. They didn't have days of the week. like They didn't have names for the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They didn't do that. They just called it by a number. And all the numbers were related to the Sabbath. The first day of the week, the first day after the Sabbath. But during this time, the early church, because of the resurrection, everything changed. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. We see this throughout the New Testament. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. What's the, what were they doing on the first day of every week? They were worshiping. And you see this all through the, the, the scriptures, all through the New Testament, all through Paul's writings, the first day of the week, the first day of the week, that, was the, that became the, the Christian Sabbath because of the resurrection. In fact, by the end of the first century, when John was writing the, the book of Revelation, he tells us in chapter 1, verse 10, John was in the spirit on the what day? Yeah, by the end of the first century, it's not only the first day of the week, the Sabbath, it's the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, and he, he goes on, on on the Lord's day. Yeah, just another reason we, we hold to Christianity. Jesus died, but he rose. And, and there's other reasons, other things we could talk about, like James, Jesus' half-brother, was an unbeliever, 
And then after the resurrection, he became, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Saul, a persecutor of the church, was converted. How? By seeing the risen Lord. So there's many more reasons we could get into, but we're running out of time. So let's talk about application. What do we do with this text? We've got this Mark chapter 16, these eight verses. And some of you may have questions about verse 9 through 20. And there's other people who might disagree about this being the ending of Mark, but I don't. I hold pretty firmly to that, but you can have a different opinion on that. But if you have questions about that, let me know. I'd like to explain that further. But you have this abrupt ending to Mark with Jesus being risen, the tomb being empty. What do we do with this text and how do we apply it to our lives? I think firstly as we celebrate, and, and, and you have. I mean, many of you are here, and some of you are you're here with family, but you go to another church, you belong to another church, you worship elsewhere, but you come because you want to be with family today, and I understand that. I'm going to be with my family today as well. But let's celebrate because the Lord is risen, and that's something to celebrate, isn't it? I think number two is we need to be real mindful. This week is going to give us opportunities to, to share the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus died. The gospel is Jesus died on the third day. He rose from the grave so we could be made right with him. So let's really be looking for opportunities this week at school, at work, with your neighbors, with your family members. Maybe even today you're going to meet, some of you are going to have family time, and you may be with family, and they're not believers. Maybe you live with somebody and they're not a believer. Maybe you're going to meet with grandparents or aunt and uncle or cousins and they're not believers. You're not sure if they know the Lord. Today would be a great day just to bring up the, the resurrection. Why is Easter so important? Do you know why Easter is significant in my life? Let me tell you about that. Just as the women, when they saw the empty tomb, the angel told them to go and tell. Let's go and tell someone this week that Jesus has risen and see if they can tell you the significance of that event. I think we need to be ready to give evidences of Jesus' resurrection. Because there's a lot of people who don't believe, right? And you think about the, the, the apostles, they, they walked with Jesus for three years, but what did they need to see happen? We didn't read that text this morning. We just ran out of time. But they needed the Lord to open up their minds, open up their blind eyes and deaf ears to hear the truth of the gospel. And that's, that has to happen. We're not believers in here because we're smart. We're not believers in here because we figured something out that, that other people, non-Christians, haven't. John Bartell's here and he, he's a believer and he loves Jesus because the Lord opened his eyes eyes, just like he did the apostles, open his eyes and ears to understand his sin, understand what his sin has done to the Lord and what the Lord has done for him. And God grant them faith and repentance. Jamie, I appreciate you reading the text before you led us in confession time. And I'll say that for some Maybe today, application would be, you need to trust in the risen Lord. He read Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe today, you need to 
You need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You need to believe and trust that Jesus did rise on the third day. And you need to be saved. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. Our prayer is that you would do that, that you would turn from your sin, turn from living for yourself, turn from doing what you want to do, and yield to the Lord, confessing your sin, asking for forgiveness, trusting his work on the cross and his resurrection as your own. You, you died for me and you rose for me. And, and, and fifthly, maybe for us believers... You know, just like the apostles, our, our lives should be different because of our encounter with the resurrected Lord. And so Easter is great, Reese, because today we, we come, Friday was really good. If you didn't come to our Tenebrae service, I'll encourage you next year. When you hear about Tenebrae, you're like, I don't even know what that is. Well, next year you come and you'll find out, but it's a great time. I had several people this morning, they'd never been before. They're like, wow, it's such a sweet time. It allowed us just to focus on Christ and his work on the cross. It's just a sweet reminder But today is Easter, and what are we doing? We're, we're coming and we're, we're, we're singing all these songs about the resurrection, and we're studying a text about the resurrection. We're talking about the implications for us. It's a good reminder, but our lives should be different because of our encounter with the resurrected Lord. We're not Saturday followers of Jesus Annabeth, we're Sunday followers. Caleb, we're Sunday followers. We're not Saturday followers. The resurrection makes a difference in our lives. We have joy. We have hope. We don't live like lost people do, like people who have no hope. No, we, because of Christ and what he's done on the cross and what he did in the, on the third day, we, we have assurance of salvation. We have hope. We know that one day we'll be with him, not because we're deserve it but because it's what he's done for us so let's be Sunday followers again the resurrection is the source of eternal life for us as believers without the resurrection the cross would mean nothing without the resurrection the teachings this wonderful wise teaching of Jesus would mean nothing without the resurrection the, the acts the miracles all the things Jesus did recorded, that we have recorded in the Gospels, they mean nothing. Without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. But there's plenty of evidence that Jesus rose. One of the evidences should be our lives. We're Sunday followers. We're not Saturday followers. Let's pray. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing our benediction. We're going to sing. Um, we're going to have a benediction. We'll sing it. We'll sing ourselves out of church today as you go and spend time with family. If you have a question about salvation, if you have a question about anything we've talked about today, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you have needs, we'd love to know your needs. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a church home, come back and, and visit with us. We'd love to have you. Let's pray as the worship team comes.
pray as John MacArthur prayed once. Father, may this not just be history we've talked about today, though it is history. May it not just be theology, though it is theology. May it not be just testimony about Jesus, though it is a testimony. But may it be to us life. Father, may we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead and thus be saved. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ, our hope in life.